What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. It was funny because I walked into a bookstore while I was doing research about, you know, what are the resources that are out there? And I I remember distinctly sending a video to Joy from the shelves of the finance and investment books. And it was just face after face of male figures, like predominantly white male figures uh, wearing suits on the covers. And it was really, you know, it was just really telling of like, there's so much space to change what the face of investing looks like. Mel Lowe is a co-founder of Investera, an investment education platform which aims to change the face of investing, starting with empowering more women investors. Mel and I are diving back into the world of Web3 and crypto today in our conversation about all things to do with women and money. If women have more access to money now than ever before in our history, it is crucial that we have a say and a stake in how the financial services landscape develops. So how does crypto play a role in this? Is it really one of the biggest opportunities for wealth creation of our generation? And beyond this, what are some of the use cases for blockchain technology that can make financial services and access to finance more equitable? Mel talks to me about all of this and breaks it down very accessibly for those new to Web3 like me. But before we get into that, a disclaimer. Nothing in this episode should be considered investment advice. Before investing or purchasing any investment product, please do your own research. To kick things off, Mel and I spoke about her journey into entrepreneurship and why she believes that business without passion is meaningless. So in terms of my journey, I think that I always fall back on a certain core belief that I have that business, especially entrepreneurship, can be one of the fastest vehicles to positive change in the world. And that's always been, you know, a belief and a hypothesis at the same time that I wanted to test out. Um, and so that really kind of drove a lot of the decisions I made in my own personal journey that led me to where I am. And I would say that it, it started really early. Um, back when I was 17 years old, I was applying to universities. And one of the entrance essays that I wrote was on my fear of the cubicle. And I think it, this came from like a lifestyle perspective. First and foremost, um, I was always curious about life beyond the conventions of society as we knew it. I was a bit of that rebel kid and my curiosity drove a lot of my life choices, you know, from where I wanted to live, what kind of work I wanted to do, what purpose and dreams I wanted to pursue. And so business and entrepreneurship was for me at that time, what I saw as a pathway to a lifestyle, a lifestyle that was full of freedom and had meaning And so coming out of university, I had a really strong belief that business without passion was meaningless. And I wanted to explore that. Um, And so that really led me to choose certain projects um, according to that belief of like, how can we use business to further our own sense of passion, individualism, lifestyle, and started consulting for a number of different companies, um, impact organizations, small to medium-sized enterprises. And through that, I kind of had a shift in what I actually saw as entrepreneurship. Um, I feel like my view of entrepreneurship evolved from being this very individualistic pursuit, um, you know, that lifestyle, that freedom-centric pursuit that... Um, a lot of things have been glorified in the media around entrepreneurship about that. And then I started to shift kind of out of that instead of like the glorified entrepreneur, the sole like hero of the story. It was like, how do we use entrepreneurship as a path of purpose and impact? And so since then, I've been really focused on helping organizations that I, I see attempting to solve some of the world's biggest issues. And so that was a journey of, of self-discovery. It was also figuring out what that means to be in this world, uh, what role I wanted to play. And that's really enabled me to work across a number of industries, uh, from technology to crypto, sustainability, emotional intelligence, and well-being. And that's led me to where I am now, which I feel is one of the crux areas 
that's ripe for disruption, which is the area of personal finance and wealth and how that could cause ripple effects and positive change throughout the world if it is disrupted. Yeah. You know, I think what's what's fascinating about your story is that you knew from the get-go, you knew from the moment you entered your career that you wanted something that was a little bit different. And the focus of entrepreneurship was perhaps not what you originally viewed it as, but now it seems to be very much about helping people. That's your helping businesses or or people, um, and particularly those who are a little bit less well-served in the um, the infrastructure, the financial infrastructure in particular, as it currently stands. Uh, I think it's amazing that you had that mindset so from the beginning of your career, because I have to say it took me a while to, <laughs> to develop it. <laughs> um, I hear you. I hear you on that, by the way, because I was, um, I was in Bali during like the rise of digital nomadism and remote work. Um, I think we had a second wave recently over the pandemic, but back in 2014, it was like a sea change happened where people realized that they weren't um, confined to their desk jobs, their offices, their cubicles, and the, you know, through the rise of the intersection of technology, laptops, bandwidth of internet that allowed communication from anywhere in the world, people allow, were able to do their work from anywhere. And I remember people were coming and, and I was like, wow, I feel actually really resonant with this, this perspective. And, and it was something that though I, I had felt like really long time ago, um, early on, and I don't know where that really came from, but, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see how it's come to fruition over time. And I think it's a lasting change, you know, um, you've probably seen in the media that, um, a lot of businesses, particularly big businesses that transition to mostly remote work, some businesses even said that this was going to be their continuing strategy. They were going to become fully remote. That was the goal. They're now kind of walking that back. I think Apple is one of the bigger companies and they've um, said, okay, now you need to come into the office two days a week or three days a week. I'm not sure what it is. And people are quitting. There's been some high profile departures as a result. And flexibility of work and particularly location flexibility is something that's so important to women in particular in the workplace. Um, and I think when businesses go fully remote, it creates a lot of opportunities for women. It also creates a lot of opportunities for women of color because they don't face some of the discrimination that they might face if they were in a more face-to-face -face setting. So that part of the shift in the world of work during COVID, I think was extremely positive. Um, it saddens me that it's being a little bit rolled back. I don't think it's going to last though. I think particularly younger generations have now decided this is the kind of work lifestyle that they want. And if traditional employers are not going to give it to them, they're going to find ways to, to get it for themselves. Yeah. And just to speak to that, actually, um, I remember there was a time during the pandemic where my co-founder of Investera, Joy, and I were looking at an article that was talking about the impact on women during the pandemic and how so many actually had to stop working um, because of all the lockdowns and all the need to stay at home and take care of the kids and who weren't at school anymore for a long period of time. And how, you know, we were, we were quite heartbroken at the setback in terms of women and wealth um, that that created during the pandemic. And so we're really hoping that we can see a rebound of that. Um, yes, the remote work opportunities have become more, and we really hope that that can counterbalance the loss of, of jobs or the pause or setbacks in career that women have had through the pandemic. Um, and really, because, you know, women were really on a an amazing trajectory to ha build more wealth and have more yeah. wealth in their hands. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of a heartbreaking moment during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think that that was the double edged sword, wasn't it? Like a, on the one hand, um, flexible work and remote work became far more accepted and so much technology was created to support that. But on the other hand, you know, flexible work and remote work only works if 
children are in school because it's not really possible to work your full-time job and also try and educate your kids remotely um, at the same time. Exactly. It's enough. It's enough already on just one aspect of that. So then I guess that brings us to Investera and the goals behind Investera. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about the initial conversations that you and your co-founder Joy had when you thought about setting this up and what was the big idea? Yeah. So related to what we just talked about, I would say a big goal of Investera is to put more wealth in the hands of the underrepresented, starting with women first, um, using investing as a means to achieve this goal. And so Investera is an investment education community, and we offer really practical, safe space for people to learn about personal finance and investing anywhere from the stock market to real estate, to cryptocurrency. And, you know, that's kind of what it is, but, you know, there's a huge why behind it. And the big why, especially for why women first or those who identify as women or non-binary, we just really feel like it's time for women to upgrade their financial toolkit. And the reason for that is historically the financial system and wealth creation has really been designed and built by men. And so, you know, there's a reason why women often are underrepresented or excluded out of, you know, financial services. So, you know, for example, 86% of investment advisors are men and, and most of them are white men over the age of 55, right? And so when we're interviewing women in our community and we've interviewed dozens of women on this topic, we're like, what has, what has stopped you from getting into investing? And oftentimes it's like, well, I don't, I'm not finding anything or anyone that feels relatable. And, you know, a, a lot of that comes from like, who are the people that are offering um, wealth management services, financial services, what's the, you know, what's the perception of these tall, uh, overwhelming buildings on Wall Street that are glassy and pretty inhospitable? Um, you know, how, how is that influencing the inclusivity or exclusivity of the financial system as we know it? And so, you know, when, even though all the stats show, it's like a very positive story that women are stepping into greater wealth than ever before. Women are often outliving their spouses. They're earning more. So the wage gap is, is lessening. They're inheriting from their parents. Um, but also, again, they're outliving their spouses and inheriting from their spouses. And so even in this decade, women are going to control 75% of discretionary spending around the world and 66% of the wealth in the USA, that's a huge amount of control of money. But 90% of women feel financially insecure and they don't know who to trust, where to go and what to do, especially in terms of investing. And that's kind of like the context. That's the over overarching storyline that when Joy and I got together to talk about what Investor is and what the mission is, it's like, that's the greater context there. And then from a personal story, you know, we ourselves had a very, you know, personal journey on our own investment learning journey. You know, we're not taught about finances in school, personal finances in school. We don't talk about it at our workplace or at home very often. And so, but yet we're expected to be in this world and function well and be financially independent and sound and well-off and abundant. And it's like, okay, how though? You're kind of left to your own devices. And yes, like, you know, you can go and do your self-study and research and all that. But it was funny because I walked into a bookstore while I was doing research about, you know, what are the resources that are out there and I, I remember distinctly sending a video to Joy from the shelves of the finance and investment books in that bookstore. And it was just face after face of male figures, like predominantly white male figures uh, wearing suits it's on the covers. <laughs> and, like, and it was really, you know, it was just really telling of like, wow, this is, there's so much space to change what the face of investing looks like. There's so much 
opportunity to move out of the wolf on Wall Street perceptions or, you know, the Warren Buffett, you know, era, which I'm not, you know, degrading or discrediting any of the successes and wisdom that the people before us have had. But I just feel like there's so much room to be more inclusive, more diverse. And it makes us really curious to see if it does change, if more wealth gets into the hands of women and more economic decision-making power, how will the, how will the world change? You know, can we build the more sustainable future that we wish to see? Yeah. I, I think that in particular is really interesting. This relationship between uh, women investors and sustainability. And I, I want to get back into that more deeply in a minute, but just before we do, um, you mentioned that women feel financially insecure when you've had conversations with women, why do they feel financially insecure? What are, what are the barriers besides perception and feeling like the space is not meant for them? What else are the, the barriers that they're coming up against? Yeah, that's a really great question because that's exactly what we were trying to ex- explore and unpack to come up with how we wanted to serve our community at Investera. And time and again, we had these certain phrases that just kept coming up, you know, these certain beliefs and perceptions about investing. So, you know, for example, one of them was, I don't have enough money to invest. Um, Another one was, it's too late to invest. Another one is, I don't have the time. It's too complicated. I'm not a numbers person. My partner will take care of it. Um, Those were some very common phrases that we heard. And also the one key word that kept coming up time and again was trust. I don't know who to trust, where to go. I don't even know if I can trust myself when it comes to finances and investing. And those things go really deep, right? Um, You know, some of them are more on the practical side, but some of them are really on the psychological side as well. And so to get through those barriers, we have to address things on a, a number of levels. What are the kinds of levels besides, you know, so there's building trust. Um, and I think what's nice about the Investera community is um, it feels very inclusive. It feels like you can ask any question in your sort of comment sections or your chats and nothing will be considered stupid so it feels inclusive from that perspective. Um, but what are the other things we can do to change mindsets or change beliefs around women and money and, and this idea that maybe women are not as good with money? I mean, we definitely feel that phrase of like the, the best investment you can make is within your education and in yourself. And so a lot of the ways to overcome some of those beliefs and barriers is really just by, by learning and learning in community, learning in in the support of a trusted community and having role models and peers that it's okay to talk about money with because money is often a taboo topic. Like how often do you talk about money with your friends or with your female friends or your, or your family, right? Yeah. Not enough. Yeah. We don't talk about it enough. So One is just like airing out the taboo. The other is actually just focusing on the why. So like I find that focusing on the why gives me and others an enormous sense of motivation to overcome those limiting beliefs and those mindsets. Um, Often some of those mindsets are, are crippling. Like sometimes the belief system is like, you know, money is the root of all evil or I don't deserve money or wealth. I'm not worthy of it. And you know, to really break through that takes a process of time. However, um, having that, that framework of the why, like why is it important to build wealth? And why is it important to become financially empowered? You know, and everyone will have their own reasons for that. But some of the ones that have stuck out when we've talked to our community is number one, they want to build intergenerational wealth for their families. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful, a beautiful goal in terms of money and wealth and, you know, to really 
break any any potential cycles of poverty um, within your families or within the female lineage of your families, um, but also just to empower your families to be the best versions of themselves, to live a good life, um, to have you know peace of mind, whether it's in their lifetime or in others, um, other generations' lifetimes, whether it's your own children or the children of the world um, who are going to be living in this future that we're creating. Yeah, just to, to create opportunities, right? I was talking to a woman about this uh, recently, um, and she she didn't grow up with money and has managed to build you know significant wealth for herself, and that's a huge motivating factor. She says, "I don't want anyone in my family or my children to ever feel like they don't have opportunities because they can't afford them." Yeah, I feel like often we are taught that like building wealth and and pursuing money and financial abundance can be a selfish act whereas a lot of the women that i talk to are are so community minded and family minded um and i i really just like that more inclusive look at money like it's not about greed you know it's not about greed it's not about fear it's about reaching financial independence so you can have peace of mind, so you can have choice, so you can care for others, care for the planet. That I think is really powerful. And that is something that it would be interesting to talk about for a little bit. Um, This relationship between women and values-based investment. I think certainly over the course of the pandemic, we've seen an interest in values-based investing or socially um, socially conscious or responsible investing increase across the board, not just with women. But I think that's something that women have always considered. And when women have money, they also reinvest more of that money into their families and their communities. So if one of the goals of Investera is also to change investing, to be more sustainable and values driven, how does that start with women? And why is it so important to engage women? in that, that conversation. Yeah. As you alluded to, you know, the choices around money and the allocation of money, um, are really unique in a way with women because they have that community focus and that family focus. And so, you know, when resources can be managed and distributed in a way that is not necessarily just self-interest driven, um, I think just more people will benefit as a whole. And, you know, with that, we are seeing like a big movement happen, um, even in wall, on Wall Street towards more sustainable investing. And so there's a movement called the ESG movement, which ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Um, so this is kind of, how Main Main Street and Wall Street can address some of humanity's more complex problems by funding initiatives, companies that have these environmental and social and governance standards in place. And we've seen over time, this is not, this is not necessarily new. Like it even started, this conversation started in the seventies where the, where it became clear already at that time that we can't do business as usual. Yeah. You know, we can't, keep destroying our planet and creating deep social inequalities um, where, so we need to, you know, really change the very DNA of our companies and put our money towards where our values lie. And so this has been building for decades, but recently it has gained a lot of momentum. So for example, in uh, 2021, about $120 billion poured into sustainable investing and that's a, a 240% increase from 2020, wow. the year previous, um, which is massive, massive. And that is like a very exciting trend um, that we're seeing happen. And it's one of the fastest growing segments of the financial services industry. Um, but it is not without its controversy um, in the same way, you know, where greenwashing has come up and 
um, under put companies under scrutiny and like, how do you actually rate and create standards around this? Um, there's the good, the bad and the ugly. And actually, um, this collective that I'm working with called values index, um, is really focused on the ESG standards and what that may look like for the crypto industry, for example. Um, so we're really dissecting that and seeing, you know, yes, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of the ESG movement, and values are still important. So regardless if, you know, there are exploitations and greenwashing and confusion that can occur around this dialogue, um, it's still really important that, you know, values are interwoven into our financial decision-making. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Web3 and crypto and the implications there for more transparency and maybe accountability when it comes to values-based investing. But first of all, maybe let's talk about Values Index just briefly about the mission mission there. Yeah. So Values Index is a collective of about 10 women who are working in the blockchain industry um, from a variety of different backgrounds and kind of posing the question of how do we weave values into Web3? Um, and how do we do that in a transparent way and in a way that we become empowered as more informed investors of where we're putting our money and why? Um, the beauty of Web3 is so much of it is about transparency and so much of it is about, you know, how, what is the future of finance and what values drives the future of finance um, and just how we operate online um, in yeah. general. So um, this collective of women at Values Index is really uh, building in public in true Web3 spirit. Um, so you know, we're, we're really at these early stages of exploration, data collection, analysis, hosting conversations on Twitter spaces, um, really engaging different experts on different subject matters and uh, collecting and consolidating data to be able to understand better. You know, think we're looking at different data points of Web3 and crypto companies um, in terms of gender diversity, um, compensation levels, transparency around compensation, equality around that, um, you know, the makeup of teams, the diversity of teams and leadership, um, and even down to the protocol themselves um, and the cryptocurrencies distribution of wealth and concentration of wealth. So a number of different data points that we have been exploring. So that's kind of values index in a nutshell. And, you know, you mentioned greater transparency and greater traceability, I guess. For, for those listeners who are really new to the Web3 space, are not really sure what blockchain is, can you explain a little bit about how recording transactions on the blockchain allows uh, transactions to be more transparent? but also potentially the impact of those transactions can become more apparent? Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like we can dedicate a whole podcast episode just to that. Um, and uh, we do, Investera does host a, a number of workshops on like the basics of blockchain and crypto um, for beginners and for novices and non-technical people. Because it is like it is a noisy, confusing space. Um, there's a lot of information and, and misinformation out there. So we like to help cut through the noise and distill and synthesize information to just what people need so that they can understand and participate. Um, but in general, I would just, I always do the zoom out when I talk about cryptocurrency in terms of the history of money. So you know, it's the evolution of money. So just in a nutshell or in a seashell where we started using seashells as crypt as currency, as a form of, of payment, right? Back in the day, what? Um, I didn't we know used a, a number. Oh, tell, really? No, tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like true Flintstone style. Um, there's like, there, you know, way back in the day, I, people before, you know, government currencies existed, um, we used a number of different commodities as a currency. So, you know, shells were 
uh, in some nations' currencies in the uh, islands of, this is a random fact, but I've been to Micronesia and to the island of Yap where they have stone money. So they have these giant stones that they use as money and they look like a circular dial, uh, like a giant coin. In Virginia, for a while, uh, tobacco was legal tender. Um, So, you know, and then there's, of course, like the good old gold and silver and the precious metals. And eventually those backed our our bills. Um, Our governments started um, implementing state-owned currencies that are backed by precious metals. And then we decoupled from that, um, where it's just now these bills, um, bills and coins that are our fiat nation state currencies, um, which then have moved onto plastics, right, for credit cards, and now onto apps like our phones. So, you know, the Google Pays, Apple Pays, Grab, Gojek, GoPay, like, you know, the, the fintechs have now gotten onto the the digital currencies um, that are more, again, like private closed system ones, but um, as opposed to currencies like Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency, right, that runs on an open network. It's open source software. It's not controlled by any nation state or centralized private institution. It's borderless. The transactions are recorded on what's called a blockchain. And it's basically, you can just think of a blockchain as a nice ledger, like a database where you record sending and receiving of value. And um, the beauty of it is that it is decentralized. So there's no like single point of failure. There's no single point of control. It's living on a network of computers that hosts basically a global monetary system that people can use without any middlemen involved. Um, I know that that's probably for some listeners, like, what are you talking about type of thing? (laughs) But um, it takes a few exposures and some, I like to use a lot of different visuals and diagrams as well to explain these kind of concepts. Um, But that brings us to the world of cryptocurrencies where we are today, where there are thousands of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is the most well-known, Ethereum next to that, and then many others, um, all with different characteristics and uh, different designs. They're not all the same. Um, and yeah, that kind of leads to what powers Web3. So, you know, that term Web3 is is kind of as opposed to the Web2 that we pretty much run on now, right? Like the big tech companies who control our data, who, you know, have... They're kind of like these intermediaries of of data, of value, of money, whatever is exchanging across the internet. Web3 is positioning itself to be more open, more decentralized, owned by the people more so than the big tech companies. So again, like if you send value, whether it's data or whether it's monetary value across the internet, Often we don't see like who's who's sending it, who's receiving it, how much. There's a lack of transparency. Um, whereas when you use blockchains, um, it's often everything is there. Like you can look it up and see exactly what's happened and where value has changed hands. And I think where sustainability is concerned, this is really interesting. You mentioned greenwashing earlier, and um, we all know about how carbon credits. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not suggesting this is across the board and I'm not suggesting that you should offset, but uh, carbon credits can be reused. But when you can record some of these transactions on the blockchain, then you know what your offset has actually purchased. Um, If it's a tree, for example, you know where that tree is and you know whether or not it's going to survive to maturity. You can have an idea actually of how much carbon it's going to take out of the environment. Yeah, that's a really good use case example of, you know, how certain things can be tracked on a blockchain. And, you know, there's a number of different cases where like, if you, if we knew the transparency of where money is moving to, the implications are huge. They're also a little scary, right? Because the people who hold the purse strings sometimes don't want that level of transparency. And sometimes even as individuals, it's important not to have that 
for example, another use case that I like though is um, for the nonprofit world. So let's say, you know, a nonprofit is accepting donations and they can allocate so donations that come in into crypto to a certain wallet address or a certain cause. And there's greater transparency and um, it's easier to report because it's all automatically recorded on the blockchain. Um, and, you know, they can utilize those networks for that. I like that use case as well in terms of transparency. Um, I also really like the use case um, that most people can relate to is like, let's say you wanted to send an international transfer across borders and you have to go through, you know, probably a couple of banks and maybe a PayPal. And by the end of that, like your transaction value has significantly reduced because of a bunch of fees, currency conversion. And some of the fees are not even, you, you don't know what they are, right? They're obfuscated and, um, that's where, you know, greater transparency would benefit the consumer, right? To know, like, how much is this really costing me um, to send? Who's involved? And actually, does it really need to be that expensive? You know, when I compare some of the tran- transactions I do utilizing Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies versus uh, a bank wire, depending on the amount is like I save so much money and I save so much time, you know, something that would be a traditional bank wire taking five to seven days on a good, on a good route, um, takes sometimes 10 minutes and significantly less a fraction of the cost to send over a blockchain. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really interesting use cases. The other use case that I'm very interested in, um, and I don't know if you have any examples of this, are use cases for those who have traditionally been like underbanked. Um, so, uh, for example, in Southeast Asia, there are many, many people who can't access credit cards. Um, so if you can't access credit cards, that limits what you can, what you can do, what you can purchase. There's a lot of online transactions that you won't be able to make. So is there any interesting use cases here for those who are sort of underbanked or maybe completely unbanked? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the underbanked population on the planet is about 4 billion people. Wow. Which is huge. It's significant. And so these are the people that traditional banking services and financial services just don't have incentive to serve. They're often, you know, in remote areas. The banks don't see a need financially from a profitability standpoint to establish branches and service providers in those areas. Um, often these people have um, unconventional forms of identification, of addresses, of identification, passports that aren't acceptable to the kind of black and white systems uh, that would pass in the in the banking system. So with cryptocurrency, anybody can literally have a bank account in a second. You know, you open up an app, you open up using one of the crypto wallets and you have a bank account immediately, right? And so in these areas, what's interesting is there's often a leapfrogging of technology where people are just on on cell phones a lot faster than anything else, um, especially like personal computers or they have their mobile phones and they have the ability to literally have a financial um, value storage account immediately through the means of cryptocurrency and access you know, a global monetary system of exchange where they can send money across borders, whether it's remittance back to their home countries if they're working abroad or to, you know, their distant relative living in a remote area that they want to send money to where their only option would have been, if any, like a a Western union who charges like huge amounts of fees that are quite exploitive. I find that to be really interesting um, because, what's going to happen in these areas um, when it gets unlocked. And uh, one of the projects that comes to mind that a, a friend of mine was working on is Ag Unity. Um, they're an Australian-based blockchain company that was utilizing this technology to add greater transparency to farmers and farming communities and uh, cooperations. You know, they were training farmers to be able to use their cell phones to register their harvest of crops and transact and sell it in a very in a way that was very transparent. So previously to that, they were using utilizing middlemen 
who would buy their crops and sell them and take cuts in ways that were sometimes corrupt and sometimes just not transparent. And so this is a way to create more fairness and equity in the system. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting. I'm really interested in these kinds of use cases. Although the flip side is a lot of the things that traditional banks require, like identification, I mean, that's all required from a regulatory perspective. Given that women are already feeling that there's barriers to investment, crypto and Web3, particularly when it's very new, cryptocurrencies are currently very volatile. It can feel scary also compared to legacy financial systems unregulated. That has pros and cons like we've just discussed. But there's also a lot of opportunities. And I think it's very important that women don't get scared off by these more risky areas. I mean, I'm not saying don't acknowledge them. Do your research before you invest in anything. But because this is a new, new financial models are coming, you know, are coming into the marketplace. And this is an opportunity to, if not level the playing field, redraw the lines. And I think it's very important that women and those people who have been traditionally underrepresented are involved in the drawing of those lines. So that gets me really fired up. (laughs) Yeah. Go for it then. (laughs) Tell me, tell me what's firing, what's firing you up. Well, I really believe that too. Like, you know, yes, crypto is sometimes scary, sometimes also just feels there's there's a lot of scams, there's a lot of opportunistic people in crypto right now, but we cannot shy away from it. I think this is one of the greatest innovations potentially in our lifetime, one of the greatest transfers of wealth in our lifetime. And I want women and underrepresented people to be sitting at the table and participating and be active builders and influencers and investors in the space. And that's why at Investera, we're not just focused on traditional investing. Like we are really focused. One of our edges is about cryptocurrency and how to do it in a way that's responsible, in a way that is safe, in a way that you still have access to opportunity um, and in a way that's not stressful because honestly, it can be very stressful um, seeing the flood of noise that's in the crypto space and the huge movements. So, you know, how can we help position crypto as a part of your portfolio, of your diversified investment portfolio? Um, how can you become savvy at recognizing what's a scam and what's not? Um, and what has true value and how to investigate a project that is promising. There's a lot of promise and ideals in the crypto space right now. Even the things that I just talked about, right? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of idealism. And so, you know, still participating, but also just being smart and savvy about it. So just before I want to ask a few quick fire questions at the end, but just before we get to that, tell me and tell my listeners, um, how, they can use Investera. I'm a member, card-carrying member right here. Um, but for other people who who want to feel more financially empowered, take steps towards financial independence, um, how can they join Investera? Uh, can they join it from anywhere in the world? Um, tell me about how you become a member. Absolutely. So, I would say, you know, we talked about mindsets, we talked about beliefs, but one of the biggest barriers to investing is actually inaction. So not actually taking a move, making a move and acting. Look at a compound growth calculator if you want to see that illustrated for yourself in a (laughs) very... Exactly, exactly. So they say, you know, it's very tangible. It's like, you know, the best day to start investing was... 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the second best day is today. And literally, you know, we're just really urging people to act. And so we're at Investera here to inspire you to take that next step or that first step on your investment journey and do it with support. And so if people want to join Investera, it's as simple as signing up. It's a membership platform. We have a really beautiful app and web interface where you can interact. We've got a a bunch of courses on there. We have events every 
Uh, every month we have one wealth building event and one crypto related event. Um, we record it too. So in case you can't join, you can join from anywhere in the world. Um, we talk about topics that are relevant to anyone in any country, basically where, you know, you have a handle on your personal finances. And yes, there are nuances to geographies, but we address those as well and really just give you the tools and knowledge um, to empower yourself and to take the next step and give you frameworks and like clear steps of like, you don't know where to start. Here you go. Take these steps and make sure you have them in place. And here's a community where you can come and ask questions um, you can meet other people that are financial experts in their own arenas of different asset classes and just come and get inspired and and have accountability. You know, again, that inaction, that paralysis, like what if you had a community where you were accountable to um, and people that you were accountable to? So we offer also um, some one-on-one support that's optional um, if that really helps to fire up and kickstart your journey or get you through, you know, a certain area of a milestone or a goal that you have at investera.io is our website. You can find out more about us there and we'd love to have you join the community. Yeah. And I'll also have all of these links in the show notes. Um, so people can go and, and check it out and just subscribe to the newsletter. First of all, see, see what it's about. I found it super interesting and I think I've told you this before, Mel, but I, I really love the platform that it's on. I find it really uh, intuitive um, to use. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Thanks for raising the the newsletter. We have a weekly newsletter that we send out for free. Um, and it, it every week we give a little snapshot of the most important headlines across finance investing um, that are important. Everyone's really busy, so we just distill it into a few quick bullet points uh, just so you can stay in the know. And that's also where we share about our upcoming events and different resources that we have. Cool. So just before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask you three quick questions. And the first of those is, what does purpose mean to you? Purpose is a dynamic feeling uh, and an idea. I love that. Where it's where your life force wants to go. Um, and so it's like a point of inspiration that can is ever evolving. It's where your life force wants to go. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. That's one of the most articulate definitions of purpose that I think I've heard. And what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew five years ago? So I, I guess just not to sound cliche, but it maybe is Bob Marley, that everything is going to be all right. I just, I don't know why that came to mind, but it's just like this thing of just worry less and know that everything's going to be okay. Um, and that's kind of a philosophical wish I knew five years ago from a practical standpoint and from an investing standpoint, what I wish I knew five years ago is maybe some, some Intel and a crystal ball on some of my investments, um, might, might've, you know, for example, bought a house in the U S five years ago when the real estate market was less crazy, you know, just different things of like foresight or hindsight. Can you tell me about a time when you failed? And how you bounced back from it. Wow. I'm just realizing how conditioned I've been from the uh, entrepreneurial world and the emotional intelligence world where they're like, you need to, you, you can pivot f- failure. You know, there's kind of no such thing as failure, right? Where if you come at it from like a growth mindset, um, it's so much just about learning and also to be gentle with yourself around failure um, cause I feel like in the, especially in entrepreneurship, it's just so intense. Like it can be a really intense concept of failure. Um, and so I think I've trained my brain a lot to just do the turnaround, um, and on, on the word failure and the concept of failure. Of course, there's been like countless quote failures of, you know, bad business decisions, um, bad ideas or mismanagement of resources or whatever that is, like a a number of those things. Um, But I would say now at the place where I'm at in my life, um, I would consider failure more so on 
like self-management. So on like, let's say failing to listen to my intuition on something or failing to listen to my body um, when it's telling me that I'm tired and feeling burnt out and I need to rest. Like not listening to that actually feels like a bit of a failure to myself um, and my own self sense of well-being. Um, and I guess failure also would be like failure to show up my best in my relationships and failing to have healthy communication. Um, so it's, it's like kind of shifted to like, it used to be more material and success and accomplishment driven. And now it's kind of more self-care driven and other care driven. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important way of looking at it. And just as you were saying, you realized how conditioned you had been around that word failure from your background in entrepreneurship, I realize how much I've been conditioned because I am a recovering perfectionist. The word failure has a very heavy meaning, but for you, it means growth and opportunity for growth. And I think that's such an important, that's such an important takeaway. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And thank you so much for your time today, Mel. I really enjoyed this chat. There's been lots and lots of takeaways here that I think will be super useful um, for everyone in my community listening. And um, yeah, I mean, start today. I guess that's the message. Start today. Today is the best day to get started. And thank you so much for having me here. It was an honor to come on your podcast. I love what you're doing and the different topics that you're covering and excited, excited to see what episodes are to come. Today is the day, friends, the day to get your money working harder for you. I realize that right now, at the start of a cost of living crunch, there might not be a lot of spare cash around to invest. And if that's the case, then maybe now is the time to start learning in a supportive community so that when circumstances change, you have the knowledge to make the best decisions for yourself and for your family. If you want to find out more about Investera, The links are in the show notes. Please check it out. And if you want to know more about anything Mel and I have talked about in this episode, or if you're working in Web3 and you have news to share from your project, join the conversation in our Facebook community. The link to join is also in the show notes. And you'll hear from me again next week. Bye. Bye.